Father, today we pray, help us as we gather around your word. Father, we pray for the work of the Holy Spirit. We ask God that you give us uh, ears to hear from you, Lord, and hearts to feel what you'd have us to feel and minds to comprehend that message you have for us personally, Lord. We pray that you'd work in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As many of you know, I've been waiting on a call from Texas to uh, find out that I am officially Papaw. That hasn't happened yet. Uh, the baby was due yesterday, and apparently he's a lot like his mama, a bit defiant. <laughs> I didn't say grandmother now. I said the mother. Of, I'm just clarifying. Amen. My wife said amen. So you be in prayer for them, if you will. That hasn't happened. Pastor T was actually ready to preach today for us, but uh, in case I had to go to Texas. Uh, but uh, as it turned out, uh, he is uh, not doing well himself, so be in prayer. But earlier in the week, God began to lay on my heart this text. And, and let me just tell you a little bit about how it came about. Um, I, I've been intrigued by some of the metaphors that, that the Holy Spirit has laid on Paul's heart as we read the Scriptures. Uh, many of them are athletic metaphors, like he talks about boxing in one, in, in one passage. He talks about beating the air, shadow boxing. talks about wrestling. And he talks about running the race, fighting the fight. All of those terms are used to describe the Christian life. Can I get an uh-huh? All, all of those things are, are references to the Christian life. But perhaps my favorite, and one that appears over and over again in the Bible, uh, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, is the term walk or walking. And, and that intrigued me. I was just in my study doing some uh, reading and I came across a couple of passages and you're familiar, you know, the Bible says, walk in the Spirit. Tells us to walk in love. Tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. Well, when I was looking at all of these different phrases, my, uh, my eyes came to Ephesians 4 and verse 1. And the Holy Spirit just really arrested my attention on this thing. And so I want to share it with you. Look at Ephesians 4 and verse 1. I therefore the prison of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. To walk worthy. To walk worthy. What all does that mean? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, the, the term is an interesting term. And, you know, as we walk with the Lord, walking is a great way to get to know people. Would you agree? You walk with somebody, you talk with them a little bit, you get to know them and reminded of the story of Anne and her good friend Karen and they went for a walk in the wilderness along a path and they came upon a bear. And so uh, they looked at each other and wondered what in the world they were going to do and Anne immediately dropped to the ground, took her backpack off, kicked her boots off and put on her tennis shoes. And Karen said, what are you doing? You can't outrun that bear. She said, it's not the bear I have to outrun. So you find out about your friends is what I'm trying to say as you, as you walk together. And, and obviously that's the case. Now the word walk in this text is the Greek word peripateo and it means to make progress, to, uh, to live our life in other words, to progress through life. And, and the word worthy becomes very important. The word literally means, it's axios in the Greek and it means suitably or after a godly sort. So what Paul is saying is this, walk, that is live your life, progress through this life, and do it in a way that is suitable or of a godly sort. Literally, if you're called a child of God, live like you're a child of God, is really what he's saying, amen? To walk worthy of the calling which we have 
received. And he's writing this, of course, to the church. Many of you are familiar with the same thing through the writings of Paul Bunyan in the Pilgrim's Progress book, where Christian, the main character of the story, uh, walks his way, travels along uh, to the celestial city. And he goes through the slew of despond, remember that? And, and through the seven levels of the candy cane forest and through, I well, got that confused with Elf. But uh, anyway, you get the point. The, the point is that, that the Christian walk is referring to how we're living our life. Now, here's what I'd like to do with you. Uh, I want to go back a little bit because it's important when we study the Word of God to go and understand it in its context. Would you agree? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to back up a little bit all the way to verse 14 of chapter 3. And then we're going to kind of fast forward through three passages, including the one that we started with. And we're going to look toward uh, Ephesians 4 around verse 11. We're going to read a little bit there. So what I'd like to do with you is a bit of exposition or let me say it this way. As we look at the main points, we're going to unpack the passage that's around it. And that's what we're going to do. Let me start by giving you all three of the major points, all right? I apologize to our guys in the tech booth because the PowerPoint is not set up this way. So they're having to hunt for what it is I'm saying right now. And they do a great job back there always. So uh, let me give you the main points and you can write them into your study sheet if you happen to have gotten one of those. And I always encourage our people to do that. I have found out that at least two take notes all the time. And so that's encouraging. I do know of two that do that. Uh, there's more of you, I think, right? All right, all right, all right. So uh, let me give you them to you. Uh, we're going to look at number one, our bowing down. And for that one, we're going to go back into Ephesians 3. And all these have to do with how we live our life and how we walk and the influence of that. So our bowing down. Number two, our binding together. And for that one, we're going to come back to that main text we read in Ephesians chapter 4. And then last of all, this morning, we're going to look at our building up those things, all right? So let's go back and take a look at our bowing down and what Paul meant. Look at verse 14 of chapter 3 in the book of Ephesians. If you're there, say, I'm there. Paul said, for this reason, I bow my knees. That's an interesting statement. Now, I want you to think about it with me. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now let me pause a moment. Again, we said we were going to unpack some of these things, and so let's begin now. What does he mean? He, he obviously is talking about his posture. He bows before God. God uh, is the object of his worship. And so let's, let's think on this just a moment, how we worship the Lord. Someone has said that posture affects the mind. This is obviously an act of humility. Can I get an uh-huh? Later in the book of Acts, you find Paul doing the exact same thing. The Bible says he kneels down, he gets on his knees, and he prays. Now, I know some of us maybe physically cannot do that. And so in your heart and in your mind, you're bowing before God. But it shows the, the awesomeness of God and the realization that we are not him. Amen? So the bowing before him is very important. But he says, for this reason... 
Now, if you're going to understand that, you've got to go back even further in chapter 3, which we're not going to take time to read all of that, but here's what you'll find. What Paul is saying earlier in chapter 3 is, I recognize that you formed the church, God, and I recognized that you've allowed me to be a part of it. Not only have you allowed me to be a part of it, but he says in chapter 3, you have called me to be a minister of the gospel. You have given me this wonderful thing that I can do in sharing Jesus Christ with others. Now, for this reason, I bow before you, God. I worship you. And he calls him the father, and then he talks about the family of which he is a part of. And he says there's some family in heaven, and there's family on earth. Many of our uh, family, perhaps, I'm talking about our, our uh, immediate family, maybe dads and grandparents or even children have gone on to be with the Lord and they're in heaven. Now, Hebrews talks about this as a matter of fact, and I believe, as many other uh, Bible teachers believe, that in Hebrews chapter 12, a reference is made to those who are part of the family of God who have gone on before us, including even many of the Old Testament saints who look down on us and walk watch, may I say it this way, how we walk. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. What's he talking about? He's talking about people who are watching us. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's that other uh, metaphor or, or analogy that Paul uses talking about the Christian life. He calls it a race. And so he said, look, uh, I understand our family, we've got this family and it's made up of those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. He talks about that as we keep reading in Ephesians 3. So look with me as we keep reading. Verse uh, 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now, what we're going to see is, we're going to see that all of this centers around verse 21 in just a minute. And, and we're going to read that, but it talks about bringing glory to God in the church. So let me, let me back up a minute and say this to you. Paul is saying, walk worthy. I'm encouraging you, I am entreating you to walk in such a way that is consistent with being known as a child of God. And then he goes back, we go back and we read that he bows the knee before God, that he, he wants to honor him, he wants to worship him. This God who is the father of the family, both who have gone on before us and who are with us right now. And then he talks about the strengthening. You know, one of the blessed things about a church fellowship is the strengthening of the inner man. You know, all of us look pretty spiritual on the outside. You, you really do. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look pretty spiritual. It's true. You, yeah, you. <laughs> and if they came in with a big family Bible in their arms, they really look spiritual. So... But everybody does. But you know, the wonderful thing about the house of God, around the word of God, among the people of God, is that we can find strength for the inner man, which no one else sees but God and we're aware of. And we need that strength because we don't have that strength. And we, we need to come before him and gain that strength. And so Paul said, I'm gaining this in a, in a worshipful mode. Verse 17, very important verse, look at it. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let me pause there. 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now I'm going to sit down just a minute, but let me clarify why I do this. I had a dear, sweet gentleman who's a member of our church say to me the other day, he hasn't been able to be with us, so he's been watching online. He said, Pastor, he said, I'm worried about you. You need to slow down. And I said, well, what do you mean? What do you? He said, well, I, I, I've noticed that. He said, I know you're getting older. <laughs> he obviously has a gift of encouragement, amen? He's probably watching this video too when it comes out, so I want to be careful with this. But in a, in a wonderful fashion, he said, Pastor, he said, I've noticed I'm watching some of your sermons and, and you have to sit down a lot. I said, I don't sit down because I have to sit down. I, I sit down to communicate to the people and it's just kind of a habit you get into. It's not that I'm tired, although I can preach a lot longer when I sit down. And now people are going to be taking the stool away. I know, that's what you're thinking. <laughs> Get rid of that stool. So I just want to clarify, when I sit down, I just want to, I want to chat with you. It's not that I'm tired. <laughs> so uh, anyway, what, what I'm getting at is that, that, that the Bible is telling us that Christ dwells in your heart by faith. How do you enter this family of God? You enter through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you enter. You ask Jesus to be your Savior. There should be a time in our life that we can point to. Physically, somebody might come to you and say, when is your birthday? Well, spiritually, somebody might come to you and say, hey, have you ever been born again? Now, maybe you can't remember the date, and that's okay. I don't think everybody does. I don't know the date that I was saved. I know it was a Sunday morning, because that's the only time they had children's church. And that's when I got saved. It was on a Sunday morning. And my mom knows a little bit more about the time frame. She wrote it down somewhere, but I don't know the exact day. The point is, I do know I was born again, though. And you ought to be able to say, you know, I know I've been born again. I know I've asked Jesus into my heart. So Paul is describing to us being in the family, how you get in the family. And then he says this, being rooted and grounded in love. The end of verse 17, very important. Rooted and grounded in love. And he goes on and he said that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints that is what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is a wonderful text. And basically what he's saying is this, in the church, and we'll come to that verse in just a minute, but the church brings glory to God and one of the things that you find in the church is not only strength for the inner man, not only an opportunity to bow before him and worship him, not only an understanding of the family, but we understand that, that it is a time where we can learn, we can be rooted and grounded and, and not, not just understand John 3.16, the love of God that saves us, which, which we sometime in our life, like the missionary pointed out a moment ago, the boy in Wales who understood John 3.16, the love of God. But I want to tell you, you ought to know a lot more now than you knew back when you first got saved. This is why it's important. And this is why we talk about things like ABF or the Adult Bible Fellowship classes. This is why we talk about the community points. And this is why we talk about Wednesday night services. And this is why we talk about being faithful to the house of God. Why? Because one of the roles that the church has, one of the responsibilities, is to educate people concerning the love of God. And by this time in our life, we ought to know more about the love of God than we have ever known. And certainly we ought to know that we can never be separated from it. Amen? Amen? That nothing can separate us from the love of God. Now verse 20, look there with me. A tremendous verse. Now to him who is able. 
to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Let's keep reading and then I'm going to come back to that thought. Can, can you imagine what Paul is, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, he's trying to explain the ability of God and, and he uses these terms, exceedingly, abundantly, above all. Amen. That we ask or think according to the power that works in us. He's talking about the Spirit of God that is in us. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let me, let me go back now and, and pull some of the things out of that text. We were talking about unpacking it. Let's go back and pull some of this out. He, he says, uh, to Him who is able... Again, we find ourselves with the topic of the ability of God. And then he goes on, he said, who can do? Who is able to do? Exceedingly, abundantly, above all. And then he uses two terms, and these really got my attention. I'm sitting in my study at my house, and these, these words that we ask or think. And I began to look at those, and I thought, you know, we asking we call prayer. Am I right? Although prayer is more than asking. Prayer is also praising. Prayer is just communicating. And may I say something many of us fail to do sometimes when we pray that is a very important part of prayer and that is prayer is listening. Listening. There should be times in our prayer that we stop and we listen. And the Spirit of God then can speak. But the Bible says He is able to do more than we could ever ask. But then I looked at that word think. And, and I came across this, and I think it's so important, so let me give it to you. Let me give you this little saying, if you will. Our thoughts exceed our prayers. That is, you think about things you don't ask for. And God is able to do that because His ability exceeds our thoughts. There is nothing He cannot do. So even those things that you don't ask for, maybe you don't feel like you should ask for them. And, and I always tell people, man, ask about anything. The Bible said uh, not to hold anything back. So, so I've heard all kinds of things about that. And this is not a, a subject of prayer or a message on prayer. But, but I want to get across to you that, that you, should, you should take every one of your requests to God. And if he doesn't give it, it's not because he's not able. It's because he's deemed it not necessary in your life or maybe not good for you. Sometimes we ask for things that are not good for us. Amen? Amen? Oh, me. Now, let me talk about something else concerning this. To him be glory in the church. Now, let me just say this. The reason that we breathe, no matter who you are, where you're from, what your background is, the reason we breathe is to bring glory to God. That is our primary purpose. And the Bible says that is the purpose of the church. The church is supposed to bring glory to God. Now, I want to say something, and I, I want to address every generation that's in here, which means the younger people and the older people and everybody in between. I want you to listen to what's said. It says, uh, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. Now, the Lord really laid something on my heart concerning this. And I, I remembered years ago, I, I saw a sign. It's been several years ago now. I saw a sign. It was a church advertising. They were meeting in a, a, a rented facility. And the sign read, this is not your grandmother's church. Now, I understood what they meant. I understood they do things differently. I understood they probably don't pass an offering plate. They probably have a basket somewhere. I understood they don't do anything that's churchy. 
I understood the music is not your old hymns. I understood all that. I understood. I understand that. But I want to tell you something. There's nothing wrong with a church being a church that is your grandmother and your granddaughter's church. There's nothing wrong with being multi and intergenerational. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a person who's been serving for years, serving alongside a young person who is just getting started. And when the Bible talks about bringing glory to God and bowing before God, the Bible is talking about all generations. Now, I want to speak to our young people for just a minute. And I'll leave it up to you if you think you're young. (laughs) Although some of you need to be at the altar. Just for that thought, because you ain't young. Just forget it. Young people, I want you to hear me. If you are waiting on the passing of a baton, if you are waiting on the passing of a torch, if you are waiting on some kind of official transfer of the ministry of the church to you, it's not going to happen. You simply take the torch. You simply take the baton. You simply kneel before God at the same time the others kneel before God. And we kneel together and we bow together and we bring glory together. We surrender to ministries that need to be surrendered to without regard of age. So young people, if you're waiting on somebody to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, don't you think it's time for you to get involved in ministry? It might not happen. So just get involved. Older people, if you think somebody's going to come to you and say, hey, it's time for you to retire, (laughs) it's not going to happen. So we serve God until the day he calls us home, and we serve him as soon as we can, as long as we can, until he's finished with us. That's what the church is supposed to be. Every generation, all generations, we're here to bring glory to God. That's why we live. That's why we breathe. To bring glory to God. Let me address the second point with you, how we walk. Not only in how we bow down, our bowing down plays an important role, but the binding together plays an important role. Look at uh, Ephesians 4 with me now. Uh, Let me read that opening verse again to you. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling wherewith you are called. Therefore, that's an interesting word, therefore. Somebody said, when you see the word therefore, you should stop and look and find out why it is therefore. (laughs) It connects what is said with what has just been said. So since we are to bring glory to God in the church, that's why we're here. That's what we do. That's who we are. Therefore, walk worthy. Walk suitable. Walk in a godly manner. Live a life that you no would be pleasing to the Lord. I came across an old saying, this, uh, this saying uh, some of you may have heard, and it simply says, our walk will talk a lot farther than our talk will walk. So how you live sends a message. And then he goes on, and he says, this is how we should walk. Verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I'm going to talk about two words real quickly with you, okay? One is the word beseech, interesting word. Parakaleo in the Greek, you know what it means? I come alongside, he said, I beseech you. I come alongside, I encourage you, I entreat you. As your pastor and as your friend, I say to you, church, this is what we need to do. We need to walk in such a way that we bring glory to God. That's what we need to be doing. And that has to do with how we bow. 
and it has to do with how we bind. He talks about the spirit of unity. Endeavoring to keep the spirit of unity. I want you to hear this now. Endeavoring. What does that word mean? That's an interesting word. Literally it means to make an effort to exert oneself with diligence. So let me ask you this question. Are you doing that? You see, the Bible says we are to endeavor to do this. We are, listen, if it was easy and it came automatically, the Holy Spirit would not have used the word endeavor. Amen? Amen. I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, but some people are annoying. <laughs> I, <laughs> I read uh, one pastor said to his congregation, he said, have you noticed how we have placed at least one annoying person in every small group? And have you considered, he said, that you might be that annoying person? <laughs> Listen, if you think others are hard to get along with, maybe they think the same thing about you. The point of the matter is this, we are supposed to be working at this. Now I know for a fact there are people in this congregation you do not know. And that's not my question. I'm, there's probably no way you're going to get to know everybody in our church because every Sunday we're growing more and more and before too long, it's just going to keep happening and you're not going to get to know everybody. So my question is not, do you know everybody? My question is, are you trying to know more people? My question is not, are you, uh, are you, uh, do you see and understand or do you know everything about it? Are you friends with everybody? That's not my point. My point is, are you endeavoring? Are you endeavoring? Working toward. When's the last time you walked up to somebody and said, hey, I go to such and such community point. I haven't seen you there. Can we exchange numbers and find out whether or not you can come with me? I'll tell you all about where we meet and what we do. Hey, I'm, I'm part of this, uh, this uh, ABF class, this Adult Bible Fellowship class, and I've noticed you're about my age and, and you, haven't, uh, you haven't been in my class. Could, could you come and could you be a part of that? When's the last time you went to somebody else in church and said, I don't know you very well. How'd you like to go down to Longhorn and just have some lunch together, you and your family, me and my family? And let's just talk a while. Let's find out more about each other. You pay for your own, of course, but, but let's just talk... <laughs> Let's just get to know each other. When's the last time you did? Well, why not do it? Why can't we do it? What is it in us that says, I'm just going to go to church, attend, listen, and go home? Binding together. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, you're still carnal, talking to the Corinthian church. He said, where there is envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And he's talking about lost men. He said, he said is it not true that this is what lost people do? That they have these little groups in this? Now, now listen, I, I'm longing for the day that we have a click in our church. I want you to hear me now. We have a click. We want a click. But one big one. Where everybody's invited to be a part of it. Everybody is received into it. Everybody's invited in. Everybody is a part of it. And every time we see somebody else, we say to them, will you be a part of our clique? We got a name for it. We call it the church. <laughs> we all get together. We have a great time. You need to come be a part of it, man. We're going to have a great time. And I tell people everywhere about this church. And sometimes I say to them, look, I know you probably think I'm just ministerially speaking, but it's a wonderful place. Now when they come, Hear me, receive them. Receive them. And not just with a little handshake and a smile, we're good at that. But let's go further. Let's endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. Let's get to know them more. At least write down their name the next time they give it to you. 
Amen? Amen. Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 13. He was talking about Titus being received. Verse 13, therefore we have been comforted in your comfort and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. After, uh, or, and his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all how with fear and trembling, look at this statement, you received him. Therefore I rejoice and I have confidence in you in everything. You received him. We used to sing the song, Bind Us Together. Any of you remember that old hymn? Bind us together. I was part of one church. Every time the choir director had us do that, every time the music guy, he'd have us all join hands. That's kind of awkward sometimes, isn't it? These two big old burly men holding hands. And <laughs> bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. <laughs> bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. Bind us together with love. There is only one God, the song says. There is only one king. There is only one body. And that is why we sing, it says. Ecclesiastes is... Ecclesiastes refers to that in verse uh, 12 of chapter 4. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know what happens sometimes in a church that's a, that experiences the kind of growth we've been experiencing? A cord comes in, so to speak. And rather than getting wrapped up with two other cords and forming a strength, that cord doesn't get involved with anybody or anything or any group. And before too long, they're no longer with us. And that's why a church can have 100, 150 new members and only increase by about 50 in average attendance. It's because while people are coming in the front door, they're going out the back door. And the reason they're going out the back door is because the people tend not to receive and bring into the fellowship. So I am begging you, endeavor to keep the unity of the faith. Endeavor. Work. At it. It is not easy, I know, but we need to work at it. Would you agree with me today? Amen. I'll take those four. That'll be good. That's a good start. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you may be familiar with some of his writings. He said it this way. One is a brother to another only through Jesus Christ. I am a brother to another person through what Jesus Christ did for me and to me. Our community, he said, with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. We're a community of believers. We should, be in wel we should be welcoming and inviting others to become a part of that community. Last of all, let me deal with the subject of building up. Let's skip down in chapter 4 to verse 11, would you please? Verse 11 of chapter 4 in the book of Ephesians. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Many Bible scholars believe that that last phrase, pastors and teachers, actually is the term teaching pastors, that it's one office. Now when I preach in the mountains of North Carolina, they call me a teacher up there, not a preacher. To be a preacher, apparently you, you have to spit a lot and run around a lot. <laughs> and be rather loud. One of our dear members said to me recently, they come from a background of things that are a lot more calmer than than we are and, and she said to me I really enjoyed that message I'm getting used to you screaming at me 
I'm just giving her a hard time. I, I won't say her name publicly, but if you'll come see me, I'll tell No, I'm just kidding. I, and, but in the mountains, they call me a teacher. They don't call me a preacher. And, and I find in the Word of God, I find in the Word of God where Jesus taught and he preached. And I think to, to preach without teaching is a waste of your time. So I find the Word of God says he gave teaching pastors. Why did he give them? Look at what it says. Look at what it says. Uh, why did he do this? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Amen. Wait a minute now. You mean the church is not just a restaurant where we go and we get fed? No, the church is where you go and you get fed so that you can then get up and serve. The work of the ministry. The word edify is important. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The word means to build up. Oikodomai in the Greek, and it literally means the act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, holiness. This is what it amounts to. When we're sitting in our seat and the Spirit of God is moving in our hearts and we're hearing what he's saying to us and we say, you know, I need to do this. I need to endeavor. What it means is not only do you say, I need to do this, but you reach out to your friend who is next to you and you grab him by the elbow and you say, I am doing this and I want to encourage you to do this with me. That's what it means. We edify, we build up each other. The church is all about growth. <coughs> growing to be who and growing to be what? The Bible says, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Let me, let me chat with you a minute. I'm not tired, but let me chat with you a minute. <laughs> I enjoy in spare time, which rarely happens anymore, but I enjoy painting on occasion, landscape, pictures. I don't have the talent that some of you may possess where you can in your mind see something and paint it out. My brother has that talent, incredible talent, God-given talent. I like to look at a picture that I think is just a beautiful scene and then I try to duplicate that picture to some degree. But we need to understand something. That what the Holy Spirit is doing with us is he's making us look like Jesus Christ. He has a picture. And the picture he's trying to make us look like on your canvas of life is Jesus, not the preacher, not the uh, associate pastors, not the music leader, not the Sunday school teacher, not the, uh, the deacon, not the elder, not somebody else, but he's trying to make us look like Jesus. That's what he's doing in our life. That's why you get stuck in those lines and you're so frustrated because he's teaching you patience. That's why some of us go through the same test over and over and it frustrates and aggravates us. But the moment we pass that test, yeah. we'll get a new one. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> He's just trying to make us like Jesus. Amen. Why? Because when we walk like he walks, we bring glory to him. Amen. We bring glory to him. The church. Any of you been to Asheville, North Carolina, the Biltmore Estate? Would you lift your hand? Several of you. Those of you that have gone there, you probably saw off to the distance, off in the distance, uh, maybe you went there as well, the conservatory or the greenhouse. It's quite a, a structure. 
It's a beautiful thing in itself, let alone the building, the, the actual estate, the house that is there. Some 7,000 square foot, I'm told, the greenhouse and its annexes. Mrs. Vanderbilt loved it. Her favorite things to grow out there in the greenhouse were palms and carnations and sweet peas, I'm told. No broccoli? No. She was pretty smart, I understand. No broccoli. But the greenhouse was really neat. I've read some on it. I've been there, but quite honestly, I don't pay a lot of attention when people are doing the little tour thing. Do you? But I've read on it and I found out that those plants, as they were put on those benches, they received warmth from pipes. Hot water was piped in underneath those benches. If it got too warm, they would simply hand crank the vents that were in the top, allowing the cooler air to come in and the hotter air to go out. And they could control that temperature so that it was the perfect environment for growth. The church is a greenhouse. It should be the perfect environment for growth. Not only should we be growing, we should be fostering growth in others. We don't need to worry about numbers. That's no concern of mine. I've said a long time ago, I've been your pastor now a little over two years, and I said a long time ago when I came here that what we need to do is focus on church health because that which is healthy will grow. And so as your pastor and your friend, I'm telling you, we need to bring glory to God in the walk that we walk, in the life that we live, and we need to be the greenhouse that gives glory to God by the growth that is occurring in our life first and in helping others grow as well in their relationship with God. Would you join me in prayer? Father?